Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week's guest on the Mike Wise Show covers the NBA in the mecca of basketball, New York City. And he's so dialed in, he should work for the phone company. You're killing me with this cheesy writing. Darlene, please rescue me and do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post and ESPN. He's also a wise ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Stefan Bondi has been covering the NBA for the New York Daily News for 10 years. He has two teams he gets to cover, the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Knicks. And look, I'm just glad to have him on the show. I I feel old because, Stefan, when you met me, you were, you were but a child. You were not a sports writing god at that point. Is this true? I don't even remember meeting you. When, when was this? Um, I, I obviously uh, was <laughs> was very memorable in your mind. No, no, I want to say I want to say, um, say I met you through your father when um, when Frank Isola uh, had a thing over at his house one day. Okay, I thought you meant when before, like when my father was writing and I was just a real kid. So I thought yeah, that that's what you thought. <laughs> I probably met you then too, um, okay. and uh, but it was it, it was it was forgettable for me too. Okay, all right. Welcome to the program, brother. All right, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, so it's not too inside basketball. Stefan Bondi's uh, father it was Philip Bondi, uh, of, uh, not only a friend of mine, but a colleague for a long time, or longtime Daily News columnist. Uh, I will never forget your father's uh, greatest line. We were, I, I don't know if I told you this, we were at the Athens Olympics, and we were sitting next to each other. And um, the, the March of the Nations was coming in, which is a big deal, you know, like, you know, Azerbaijan, Antigua, you know, and everything. And, and, and all of a sudden we get to like, I don't know what it was, uh, the Congo or something. And he just looks at me and he goes, Marriott, no Marriott. Marriott. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. It was essentially, he was, he was ensuring because we all as sports writers stay at Marriott's and accumulate yeah. points. He was figuring out what countries actually had Marriott's, what countries essentially he would go to um, if he had vacation points. Uh, it was hilarious. And it was sort of, it, it, the whole thing was inside baseball, but I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. And it, it was, and it's your dad, like as well. As much as he had a great social con, as much as he has a great social conscience, and he has all these great uh, uh, philosophical ideas, at the bottom line, it's all about Marriott points. There you go. There you go. Speaking of Marriott, I, I miss him. It's been a while, unfortunately. So hopefully, yeah. we'll get rid of this pandemic soon. <laughs> yeah. You haven't seen your father in a while. No, I, I see him. Um, we we do the socially distant outside thing, so I have seen him. He's doing well. Um, he's teaching in Montclair State. Oh, great. That's good. Um, uh, the weirdest thing of all, 
there's a pandemic going on and training camps are suddenly underway and we're starting a season that was just finished weeks ago. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, were you always on call? Were you always, um, I mean, did you even get any time off between the finals, the playoffs and now? You know what? It, yeah, I did have a little time off, but it feels it, it feels like I've had a lot of time off because I haven't been able to go to any of these events. And, and um, even when the season does restart, um, reporters are not going to be allowed inside the games, inside practices. Um, so, you know, this has been different for me for I think for all writers in that we've had to lean on different skills, whereas you're not allowed to go, you know, do one on one interviews or or. Um, or go, you know, mingle with executives at, at games or practices, you're now forced to use a different skill set, which is, you know, get on the phones and, and build relationships remotely. So that's been, that's been the hardest part uh, of this for me personally, is trying to, you know, pivot and figure out different ways to do, to be a beat writer, because it's, it's definitely different. Yeah, it is. And I, I don't, I don't, uh, what do I say? I don't envy you, but I also, there is something to be said for, um, you don't have to be at every single practice. You don't have to, it almost, it almost reminds me of how European soccer teams are covered where they don't provide any access anyway. So you're essentially um, as a columnist or as a writer, um, even as an objective beat writer, you can have a little bit more uh, say so based on your observations as opposed to being so weighed down by uh quotes and whatnot do you, do you feel do you feel your coverage is is going to blossom in this or has blossomed this pandemic or do you feel like you feel like you your your gig part of your gig is getting that inside story and face-to-face -face conversation with somebody that no one has oh that's a good point i i don't um i I think some of the game coverage is going to be worse, but the the other stuff, the the off day stuff, where uh, we're allowed to be more opinionated, um, I think that almost helps when you're not so immersed in the hey, we got to wait for coach to speak and then just write off whatever he says. Um, so yeah, I think you're right in that. You know, we have a little bit more freedom here, and that can help with coverage a little bit. We'll see what happens when the season starts. Like I, it's been, it's crazy. Take this: the Knicks haven't played since mid March. Right. So what is that? That's right. They haven't played a game. So it's been really tough for me. I mean, yeah, I cover some of the Nets, but most of my main beat is the Knicks. And yeah. I'm covering a team that hasn't played in almost a year. It's crazy. That is insane. I forgot they weren't an That's right. They weren't an invite to the bubble as, so, as some of the worst teams were. That's crazy. They haven't played since March. The, 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 when I was hired at the New York Times in 1994, you were born then, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. I was fourteen. I was born in eighty. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, yeah. So when I was covered, when I was hired that year, um, I was hired to cover the Nets. Now, for me, being a hayseed from Sacramento as I was at the time, it was like a life-changing experience uh, getting a job in the New York Times. But, um, but uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of other people in town were like, "Oh, the guy got the Nets beat." Well, the Nets were like the ninth professional team in New York and probably ninth on the totem pole. I don't, I, you can't say that anymore. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I wanna talk to you about the Nets more than the Knicks. Um, it's, it's amazing what money, relocation, and acquiring a couple stars can do. 
Yeah, you're right. Uh, but I will say this nationally. So nationally, the Nets are a bigger story than the Knicks right now. And that has to do with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. You're right. Locally, though, um, if you look at the ratings and the number of clicks per story, and it's, it's still a Knicks town, right? It's yeah. still a Knicks town. And I think it will always be. I mean, with this, there's, there's such a history there. Um, there's, you know, families grow, you know, fathers sure. pass it on to their sons and, and the Nets just do not still have the type of juice of the Knicks in New York City. Now, like I said, nationally, it's a different story. But in New York, it's still very much a Knicks town. Yeah, I, I always wonder if that changes if they win a couple of titles. But even then, it's almost these aren't homegrown players. They were acquired. Uh, Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni are running the show now. It's an interesting dynamic with boss and player exchanging places from their Phoenix days, really. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I think Steve Nash has <laughs> he's taken on a tough job. And, and a lot of people say it's an easy job because he has so much talent. But the personalities on that team with Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant. And I, I don't know if you, you saw Kyrie Irving came out, came out on a podcast and said, well, anybody can be the head coach on oh. any given certain day. So, you know, and, and from my understanding, and Kevin, I mean, Steve Nash kind of downplayed that comment when he was asked about it on media day. But, you know, I heard that when he heard it, it he was initially taken aback. So, that's something that bears monitoring is how Steve Nash, a, a neophyte coach, is going to handle these over the, you know, these huge personalities. And, um, you know, Kyrie Irving has not, has in the past shown that he's very hard to coach. Um, and when you have this dynamic of this first year coach with these more experienced assistants and these superstar players, you know, it's a potentially combustible situation. Um, and, and so that's going to be uh, interesting to watch throughout the season. Uh, well, did you go to Brooklyn Nets media day? No, I, I did. We, we have a, a main Brooklyn Nets writer, Christian Winfield. Um, yeah. And I handled the Knicks this time. But I'm, but I'm saying, that were there tons of people at this media day? So there's no media day. It's all virtual. It's, yeah. Kyrie <laughs> Irving still skips it. I know it was. I can't. Like you, how I mean, do you skip a media a... day in which you don't actually have to uh, be meet the writers face to face that annoy you? He, I, 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 he has this issue where every time he does an interview, um, he he communicates his message poorly. Right? He goes yeah. off on tangents, and he says things that he probably shouldn't, and he get and then he blames the media for for reporting what he says, and that, and that's kind yeah. of been his pattern. Um, and, and he used the excuse, well, you know, I don't want to be misinterpreted here, so I'm just not going to speak. Well, I mean, it's your fault that you did not communicate the message properly. That's the way I feel. Yeah. I, KD and Kyrie can decide the alpha dog situation, but the team has a lot of talent around. It's deep. Um, in some ways, maybe too deep. Um, will, will Karis LeVert get enough touches to be happy? <laughs> I mean, Yeah. I mean, listen, I think – you know, here's the thing about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They don't play the full season, especially You're, Kevin Durant coming off that Achilles injury. Uh, you know, I, I know Steve Nash said that we're not going to play them every single game. I, I expect – so it's 72 games. I expect Kevin Durant to play maybe 55. You know, he hasn't played in over a year. Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, he, last season he only played 20 games. So – you're going to need depth on this team, uh, and that's uh, spent, and that's Spencer Dinwiddie, and that's Karis LeVert, and that's really where they're going to play a big role. When they're all together on the court, um, I don't. I, it's going to be hard 
there's not only one ball and it's going to be hard to see how that's going to work, but they do need depth because like I said, those, those two main guys are not going to play every single game. Yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie, Landry Schmidt, Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, Joe Harris, Torian Torian Prince, and Jeff Green. I mean, it just – on one hand, you've got a heck of a rotation. On the other, uh, you know, gosh, boy, Steve Nash has really got his work cut out for him. I don't don't see them coming out of the East um, based on just track record, like you said, for injuries and where the Nets are. But, you know, they could get to the second round and then become like a title contender the next year and guys are healthy. Who knows? I, you know, I, 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 I'm hopeful only because I like watching those two players play at their very best. Yeah, and I, I think they have enough talent to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, maybe get to the finals. The, the question is, so like when they put these super teams together, we've seen it before. When he did it in Miami and, and I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you call it Brooklyn Nets a super team. They have two superstars. But when they did it in Miami, it took about a year before they really reached their potential. They, they, it's going to re- require some time of these two guys uh, playing together and incorporating a new system with a new coach. Yep. Um, you know, it, it usually takes some time for it to mesh. And so I think year one, we're, there's going to be some bumps. Um, and, and we'll see what happens. Well, year two, it took LeBron till year two and AD, of course, but. It, and it took and and it's obviously the the Clippers who had to like tear down a lot of the players around Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, like it, it nobody, I mean a lot of people thought they were going to run the table last year and it was like no, um, it takes a while to develop chemistry, it takes a while to, for, for roles to be um, adjusted to, all those things matter. I, you know, at some point, I, I like Mike D'Antoni. I don't know what your relationship was with him when he was with the Knicks. But um, in some ways, Jack McCallum's famous book, Seven Seconds or Less, is turning around into, um, uh, you could write another book, um, uh, Second Round or Less. You like that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You can use that if you want. It's so, not as catchy. All right. I, all right. I'll go for it. But the, <laughs> it's good. You, I like you bring up my relationship with D'Antoni because I don't really have one because I was covering – the Nets at that time, um, and I was going oh, to – Oh, that's right. They stuck you on the lousy team in town. Yeah. So I'm going to pivot to that and, and, and say I covered Jason Kidd's first year as coach, and there's been a lot of comparisons there to Steve Nash taking over. I mean, they're both former players who never had a coaching job, head coaching job uh, before, getting thrust immediately into a, a team with a lot of superstars that happens to be the same team, the Brooklyn Nets. And Jason Kidd's experience was not good. Um, he came in and, and, you know, it was a mismatched roster, obviously. I think this team has more talent. Uh, but um, that, can, that shows how this can go poorly, how when you bring in a novice coach who, you know, really has to learn on the job, you know, what happened with Jason Kidd is he, he almost got like – he became um, – he couldn't take – like it, he, he had the situation with Lawrence Frank where he feel like – he needed to exert his power on, on Lawrence Frank, even though he hired Lawrence Frank um, to be kind of his helper. And he decided, well, you know, you're kind of overstepping your bounds. He ended up firing Lawrence Frank. And the whole first half of the season was a bad learning experience uh, for Jason Kidd. So that, that's kind of an example of how things can go poorly uh, when you have a situation like what's happening in Brooklyn right now. You're, you're going to be covering the Knicks, like you said, for the first time in almost a year um, in some ways. And um, 
I think there was some modest um, excitement over some of the team's uh, uh, dealings and, and draft day and all that. Um, is that just because the the bar is so low now, or or is it or are New York fans just much more savvy than we realized, Stefan? <laughs> no, the bar is really low. I I can't believe that Knicks fans are happy with this summer. It's it they. they it's I amazing. Mean, literally, the literally the line is well, at least we didn't do anything stupid, and that and that's that that means it's a great success. I mean they they had the most they had so they had the second most cap space heading into free agency. The Atlanta Hawks had the most. And the Atlanta Hawks did a really good job upgrading their roster. The Knicks decided they basically didn't want to do anything. Um, and no. but they but they but here's the problem. They have they have cap space. It just disappears if you don't use it, right? I mean, yeah. it doesn't roll over. So, you know, it, it became a waste. And and don't forget why this cap space was created. This cap space was created because the Knicks traded Chris Daps Porzingis to go after Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving. That didn't work. So then they signed a bunch of one-year players because, hey, we want cap space again in 2020. Well, now you have it and you don't use it. So at what point does it become what we have to upgrade this roster? And I think a lesson was from the, the missing out on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving should have been, at least the lesson should have been, that we actually need to have a good team out there and win some games and possibly make the playoffs in order to attract free agents. And it seems like they didn't learn that lesson because now they're putting out another roster that's probably not going to make the playoffs. And then they're going to go big game hunting again next summer in 2021 with cap space. And I can't see why a player like Giannis Antetokounmpo or Kawhi Leonard or whoever else is going to be out there will want to pick a team that has been in the lottery for eight straight years. So that's where I see the flaw in this plan. Yeah, the weirdest thing is that New York and Madison Square Garden has become the perfect place to visit instead of live and stay, which is just sad. I mean, it's like from the Brooklyn outhouse to the Manhattan, the Brooklyn penthouse to the Manhattan outhouse. And Leon Rose, I mean, you know, great, good, good for him. He's the next, um, oh God, uh, he's the next Rob Palinka. Let's, let, let's take our agent world and let's go take, and let's go fix a team. In fact, everybody's changing roles. Lee Jenkins was a sports writer, and now he's uh, doing something with the Los Angeles Clippers. I'm thinking that me and you should be, like, commissioner in a week. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> does, Leon Rose knows what, does Leon Rose know what he's doing? Well, he – listen, everybody said – I don't know him too well, but everybody says he's a very smart guy. Um, he's a very honest guy. Uh, he's a guy with integrity. But, you know – he never ran a team before and he has this close associate, you know, worldwide West. Yeah. Yeah. So William, William Wesley, William Wesley. So William Wesley has become a top executive under Leon and those two have been tied at the hip their whole careers. Um, Basically, you know, Wesley helps get Leon, his clients, you know, that's when they, when he was an agent, that was their relationship. And, now Wesley is really, from what I've heard, is really basically running the organization. Um, now, I'm sure Leon has a big role as well, but, you know, Wesley has a huge role there. And, and these two guys, they've signed a lot of Kentucky players. Um, Wesley has a huge connection to the Kentucky program. He's Calipari's agent. He's helped that program get recruits in the past. And they signed a bunch of CAA clients. Um, 
which, you know, that was the agency where they both worked before joining the Knicks. Now, it's an unholy you know, alliance. Let me just say, yeah. you don't you don't have to say it. it's an unholy alliance. Yeah. I mean, you co- did you cover the Knicks when when this was all? I mean, this is not new. No, no, I didn't cover them then. But I know the whole deal. Like like William Wesley would be on the phone with uh, Isaiah at times and be like, I- I'm getting you this guy. You know, it just uh, the, I mean, look, the guy has incredible power. I can still call him up as long as I don't use any quotes of his. He's a weird dude, but it, like he, Worldwide West is sort of he was at the he was at the forefront of essentially every every sneaker basketball scandal there ever was. So stop with me, or like like this. I understand Leon Rose has got integrity. William Wesley knows a lot of people, and he's a power broker. I, you know, God bless him. I don't know. I don't see it happening. Yeah, I mean, if, if I would, now it, it would be, it's going to be, if it all works out, it's going to be great. You can't really criticize them for signing all these Kentucky players, signing all these CAA players. But if it doesn't work out, then they've opened themselves to, well, you basically just looked out your people this whole time, and that's not a way to run a basketball organization. Um, no. So we have to wait and see how this all shakes out. I think the Tom Thibodeau hire was, was a good hire, though. I think he's a great coach, and I think uh, they're doing him a disservice by not giving him a roster that's worthy of a playoff spot. I think he's a win now coach and uh, you gave him a roster that's not equipped to win now. So uh, th- that, that could, you know, it's, it's going to be a rough season. I believe. I Tom Thibodeau doesn't always trust rookies. Uh, I love Tibbs from when he was an assistant, when I covered the Knicks back in the day, but with such a young team, man, he's going to, I feel like he's going to have to change his style a little bit to be successful. Yeah, and, and you know, I think he learned a lot from his time in Minnesota because, you know, there were a lot of ups and downs there and his relationships with Carl um, Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins probably could have been better. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I think he learned uh, from that experience and he has a bunch of um, assistant coaches that he's going to lean on because, you know, in the past, Thibodeau wanted to do everything himself, right? And um, now he has – two assistant coaches, one in Kenny Payne, who was the former uh, Kentucky assistant, and another in Johnny Bryan, who the Knicks are paying big money to. I mean, big money for assistants. And he's been, from my understanding, the training, you know, the individual workouts have started. From my understanding, he's been leaning a lot on those guys, which would be kind of a difference from how he operated in the past. So, you know, maybe he's learned. He's learned to delegate. Um, He's learned that, you know, relationships with young players, um, you've you got to cultivate them because they're important, certainly in today's NBA with player empowerment and everything else. So, you know, we'll see how this uh, this evolves with, like you said, a very young roster. They, the Knicks do not have one player in his 30s, not one player. Everybody's 29 or younger. So, um, God. we'll see. It sounds like the media business right now, you know. <laughs> they're just it's, – it's crazy. Young it's, man's uh, game, it's, it's, it's like, you know, and, and I'm shocked, too, because you think a guy like me, 56-year-old white guy, would be a huge commodity in this environment. And well, I'm you're shocked. very talented. You're very talented. And if you want to get on a media debate, I, there's a lot of problems I have with the basketball media today. And Let's, one of them is that we've all become uh, basically like PR spokesmen. Nobody writes a critical word anymore. It's crazy to me. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw your last story about K, uh, Kyrie and KD combining on a um, Nike sig- signature brand. Yeah. 
And all I kept thinking was, they've got this, they got Stefan Bondi too. He's part <laughs> yeah. of the machine. Oh my well, God. Know, yeah, that was, that was a tough one. But no, no, actually care. it was, it was actually, stuff. it was actually an interesting story because I didn't really know that they had it. It was like how they got together. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, it's the kind of story I would read, and it would, and, and especially because I know it's from you, and you've always been honest. And I think what you, you go off on the media uh, for a little bit and how it's become, I, I'm of the opinion that because access has become such a big thing, and and getting like access, we're, we're also um, brainwashed by it that that the guys are sort of, they'll do anything for it. They'll, and, and they'll, I mean, we, I guess we were all in the tank for someone that we liked and, and respected at some point in our careers, irrespective of who we covered and when, but man, it's, it, it's hard to watch now. Some guys just sort of being subservient to agents and players and teams because they want favorable status. And that I never, you know, at no point was I ever worried about whether the Knicks liked me or whether somebody uh, was going to give, you know, an agent was going to have favor with me. Um, I just didn't care about those kinds of things because they got in the way of me doing my job. You're 100% accurate. And that's the problem. I think the, the power dynamic between the media and the players slash teams has shifted over the years where the players, because they have all these huge social media outreaches, they they don't need us as much anymore. And, you know, um, the journalists need these players or we, you know, think we need these players for access. So we're willing to bend and, and write positive things just to get that access. And, um, you know, you're right. It's being a slave to the access and not being honest a lot of the times, too. So it's unfortunate. Who do you um, who do you read and really respect still as a as a writer yourself and somebody that you might just uh, NBA or otherwise? What do you what do you what do you read? What do you really ingest and think? Oh yeah, this person still got it or whatever. Uh, Mike Wise. Well, you know, and and the check is in the mail for that one, but <laughs> um, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but maybe somebody that writes more basketball than yeah. I do now. I don't I don't no. write as much as I used to. No. Um, yeah. Thank you though. That was nice. No. I, I, I let me think. Let me show. think. Um, I don't. I can't really tell you. I have a favorite anymore. Um, yeah. I wish I could, but I can't. I can't tell you that. Hey, uh, you know, there's somebody out there that every morning or every week I have to go click on his or her article. It's not really like that anymore. It's more of a case by case basis. Yeah. You know, sports, you know, I love sports. I used to love sports illustrated and, um, God, I, I, isn't that sad what it's become? Yeah, I know. That's really rough for me. That was something I enjoyed getting every week and opening up and, and reading all the great writers and there's too many to mention. Um, but you know, that, yeah. that was, that was really heartbreaking for me. Pete Bessie. I did, you know, I, I, so Pete Bessie obviously has a long history in New York. And one of them was he would call other writers names in print. And one of them was my father, King Kong Bundy, I think he called yeah, him. King, and, yeah. um, and they called Harvey a bunch of names and I'm close. He, he used to call me, he used to call me He-Man Mike Wise like that. I would, Cause <laughs> I would take on Grunfeld or something. He-Man Mike Wise. And then he would say, it, it was like, it was a biggie line. Like you gotta go, I gotta go. And uh -huh. like, and I was like, 
you want to fight? Okay. <laughs> you know, like, like, and so, and he's a pretty tough guy. So, um, okay. so, but um, yeah, I, yeah. Bessie, Bessie went from, I think, loving me to hating me in about a week. It was, it was amazing. Well, um, so I, he, he called me, so we, he was still in the business when I first got in, he was still at the post and, I did a st I did something on Twitter where I broke some story about Jason Kidd meeting with the Nets for a meeting, and then he followed up. He followed up with it almost after, almost immediately afterwards um, on Twitter, and then somebody put it out there. Hey, Bondi had this first, and then he called me a lame ass on Twitter, and had called me all these different names on Twitter, and then blocked me. And then and then recently, come on. Uh, and and then recently, I I was doing a story about Rucker, and I contacted him. And he, you know, he has this long history with Rucker where he was actually coached during the Rucker. Yeah. And he was, he could not have been more helpful and gracious. Wow. Uh, and since then, you know, I think we, we talked a few times, we emailed back and forth a couple times and um, he was great. And I appreciate all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I, that my whole thing with him is I don't even care that he doesn't like me or not. He's such a valuable resource and he goes back to, so, you know, I mean, I always say this, if not for Peter, Peter Bessie, um, me and dozens of guys who covered the NBA as a uh, league would not have their job because that job did not exist until the New York Post made him cover the league. And nobody else had it, like Mark Heisler from the LA Times, who's you know now retired, and all these other guys that would cover the league as a whole. They didn't have those jobs until Peter Bessie got his. And it was like, I'm like, dude, you know, like, the guy, the guy should be treasured, but he's such a bitter human being that, you know, what, what can yeah. you do? Um, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I'll I think, be there. Just give me a couple more years. Um, yeah. I think he would, he's, he's, what he's done was amazing, but I think he became too much of a policeman about the beat, about different writers, right? Like he always right. wanted to police every writer and that hurt a lot of his relationships, but there's no question that a, a lot of the things he did was truly remarkable. Yeah, it's like we're all on, we're we're all on budsman now because yeah. we all see like we all want to talk about the good old days and everything else. And it's like uh, my biggest thing is, and I you know I whatever I'm congenial with Woj, but I, I you know I that whole charms shams whatever whatever guys I haven't even met him before. He's probably a, he's really a good reporter, but it's like if they're breaking all the stories. And none of the none of the people on the teams, Oklahoma City or Sacramento, are breaking stories about their teams. That 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 tells me now less about the the unaggressive uh, posture of beat writers in their local markets than it does. There's an unholy alliance on top between agents and those guys, and it's just like unless it stops, the the NBA media circle will die, and 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 they'll die with it. Yeah, I, I see that. And one of the new phenomenons, I don't know if you've noticed it on Twitter, is when um, uh, either Woj or Shams or whoever else is breaking a transaction story, they now cite the agent as telling them in right. the actual tweet. So it's the agent getting publicity for doing this. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic to say. Uh, I know guys who've gotten uh, – I know, I know a writer, and I won't mention him, who's essentially – got gotten other players deals because he has a working relationship with his agent where he'll put out bad stories every now and then uh, just to just to uh, increase leverage like i like that there's a lot of great agents out there that i like they're just good people 
I would never do that for him. It was, it was unethical. It was lousy. It was lousy business. And it was sort of a scratch your back, scratch my I was like, come on, man. This just, I, I can't. Oh, God, I'm glad I'm not you anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's I, like your youth, I like your youth and I like your life. Um, but, I, yeah, I, could, I, I don't know if I could cover a team like I used to. It's a, it's a, it's evolving and it's tough to see where it's going. You're right. Um, but yeah. one thing it does open you up to is, and we talked about being in the, you know, being a slave to access is, Hey, if you know that somebody else is going to break the story regardless, and they're not going to give it to you, that allows you more freedom to be critical of the teams you cover. Right. Exactly. Uh, because you're not worried about losing out on the scoop. Right. You're not as despised as Frank Isola was, um by the knicks are you at all no i don't think i don't think that's possible <laughs> yeah yeah no. I, yeah i was i was i was i was waiting for the longest time for them to plant a car bomb underneath <laughs> one of you know the right side of his vehicle if they would have asked me to do it i probably would have for them but it's like <laughs> wow that's, that, that was a deep ugly relationship and um you know, I, I guess it, I guess it continues. Although Frank's not serious now, so it doesn't matter as much. Well, I mean, Frank, and, and I always say this: Frank was right about everything he wrote because this team has been a nightmare for twenty years, and yeah. the the owner has been a, a, a problem. Um, so the the uh, the results should dictate the coverage, and that's kind of what it's been like. Jim Dolan and Dan Snyder should go on vacation together. Okay. Um, and just sort of like com compare stories of getting in the way of each other's franchises and how they just <laughs> <laughs> sabotage two decades of civic uh, civic love for a team almost. Um, now, I don't want I don't want to get too off topic, but um, I know you were on top of the the Washington football team and the change of the nickname. What do you think of what they've done here? I mean, it's it's a great question. It's it's one I would take the I would go on a tangent with this any day of the week. It's great because even though it came because of financial pressure and they they could have controlled that narrative, they got backed into a corner. I think it's great that it happened, and you know, and it's and what it's done is it's forced a lot of other high schools uh, to reconsider their own nicknames. And like, there's been two dozen already in the last. Uh, in the months after they they changed, and you know, when you talk to people on the, you know, I'm doing this book on Billy Mills, the guy who um, won the 64 gold medal in the 10,000 meters. He's an Oglala Lakota Sioux guy, and you're out of the Pine Ridge Reservation, and these parents, all they talk about is like, I don't really care myself, but my kids, I don't want them, I don't want them caricatured anymore. I don't want them going to school thinking. You know, I'm this, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a savage warrior from the 1800s. Like my kids, don't put my kids in a time warp. Like they want to be educators. They want to be lawyers. And like when you see the American Psychological Association studies on what those, what the, what the images do to those kids, I don't think, I think it's a no brainer in some ways, you know, like, like I, I know a lot of Native American people that are older, like we got bigger problems on the reservation, but it's interesting. Like they'll have arguments with their with their kids and their kids are like, no, we, we're better than this dad. We need this to go away. And so to me, it's good that it's one, it's, ha it's fostering conversations on the reservations, but more than that, it's just like the right thing to do. You know, it's like, uh, I, I don't get it. Like, uh, I, I just don't get, you know, like 
like we would never have a team called the Fighting Whiteys, although right, maybe right. we should. Maybe we should, um, because because Trump is a freaking <laughs> jerk. Oh, sorry. I don't want to get political. Yeah, that we're going real off topic, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, before I let you go, you know, you're you come from a you come from a long history of um, people that I feel like that I, I know your father enough to say he stood on the right side of history on many things. Where where are you on the whole social conscience movement in the NBA? You think they've gone too far and let the players sort of take over the messaging and alienated fans that are on the fence? Or do you think that this is a time of racial reckoning in society where we just need to be, we need to be extra sensitive about this and realize that this is part of our world now? Where, where are you on it? Oh, I think that um, they should give the players the freedom to express this because there was a lot of anger out there, right? Um, and we saw that in the bubble. I mean, they, the Milwaukee Bucks um, decided not to play. There was, and, and the reason behind that was the anger and, and the fear about what's going on in the world. So I don't think you can um, try to suppress that. Um, and I think the NBA did a good job of allowing the players to express themselves and sending the right message. Uh, now, at the same time, there was the contradiction of China. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's hard to reconcile that because... Do you believe that was a year ago or even less than yeah. a year ago? I mean, more, yeah. a little bit more than a year ago. That's just crazy. So it's tough to reconcile, hey, you know, we, we stand on, on the right side of social justice. But, you know, if it hurts our bottom line too much, we, we're going to pretend it doesn't exist. So um, that, that was hard for me to reconcile. Um, and I understand the difference. Listen, you're dealing with situations in America that are affecting a lot of the people that the players and a lot of people players families um and china's in a whole different country and um i do understand that difference but um so that but still there was that contradiction um but that doesn't mean that the nba should not allow their players to speak about social justice in this country and i think they did a good job of doing that um in the bubble and we'll see how that moves forward beyond the ratings were terrible and i don't I don't personally think that had to do with the, uh, the messaging. Uh, but I don't think that, you know, there was some talk about putting Black Lives Matters on the court for this season. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't, yeah, I don't think I need to do it. I just think people are, people are down on, people don't care about sports like they did. They just don't like, yeah, the diehard NBA fans and NBA Twitter is still alive and well, and it's a great distraction. But most, even me, I, I find myself like going, all right, it was a good for LeBron, he won, and it was a great, amazing thing that they came back and did it. But like George Carl said a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, he goes, you think Jamal Murray is having that kind of series in front of a really loud crowd on the road? Like maybe, but he goes, I, I don't think he's making all those shots. And I'm thinking, yeah, the, the heat, you know, Nobody had to go to Boston and nobody had to go to the TD Bank Garden or whatever it's called now. Nobody had to go to the Garden to have a loud, throaty Boston crowd in their ear. I know Bruce Bernstein loves this, my producer, because he's freaking Boston Homer. But um, <laughs> but 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 like you didn't have like you didn't have that kind of passion and <laughs> that kind of a, he just flipped me the bird in the middle of the podcast. I want that noted on the audio. <laughs> that that's not something that's appropriate for a producer or anyone. And, um, and so, uh, so at any rate, I mean, these guys, 
these guys, I like, I'm not saying that all these guys who had breakout years like Tyler Hero and all these guys that people were saying, you know, are going to be the new stars of the NBA, but I, I want to see them on a loud, proud visiting court on the road in the playoffs before I make a distinction about whether they're going to be, you know, a, a perennial great player. So you're saying that the, the lack of a crowd has taken, taken some of the joy out of watching it? Um, I don't know about the joy because I still liked, I loved it in many ways. I didn't think I would, but it's still every sport. I can't, I, the, the, I love the people, the, the whole pageantry of it. I okay. think I used to get, I got into sports as a kid because, you know, like when boxing was big, like when Sugar Ray Leonard or Mama Ali, they would make the entrance to the ring, man. It was the pageantry of it. Like, oh no, they're coming out. It's going to be a fight. And the crowd just, there was bubbling with anticipation. And you still got that, you know, before game seven or, a, or you know, whether it was football, playoff or whatever. It was, there was, there was an anticipation in the, in the arena. And now, man, it's like, it's like the world is one big pickup game. <laughs> You know, yeah. and yeah, it, no, it just doesn't have the same kind of buzz and pizzazz. And I, I don't think until the crowd comes back, you'll ever really have the numbers that you did. No, I agree with you. And, and there's different elements to it, too. Um, obviously, playing in the summertime was a problem. They thought, like, Mark Cuban had been pitching, well, we should adjust our entire schedule and play in the summer. And then they found out, well, you know, not as many people are going to watch us if we do that. And then um, yeah. the other stuff is the cord cutting. Um, you know, a lot of young people just don't watch sports anymore. No. It's just the way the way it's going. But I watch it on their phones. And watch it on their phones. Watch highlights. Um, yeah. Only pay attention to the stats because it affects their fantasy team or it affects right. their their DraftKings um, bet or whatever it is. So um, that's been that's been the trend. Um, but I agree with you. You know what was tough to watch without fans was baseball. That was something that I really struggled with. It was just so quiet and miserable. Quiet, <laughs> so miserable, and, like, the pop-up fans, like, the people in the back, it reminded me of one of those old arcade things where you're, like, shooting the, you know, you're, you're shooting the rifle and the people pop up and you got to hit the people. And it's like, the, the, it was so bad. It was almost like it's a reminder of how bad the pandemic was. It wasn't, like, sort of <laughs> yeah. Anything like like yet you're you're not masking anything. You might as well just put a curtain there. Yeah, um, depressing. It was just it was comical in some ways. Yeah. Like you know, can I be one of the pop up fans to see you know you know are, are they allowed are, you know those are those people allowed to get upset as well? I mean, come on, it's a joke. It's freaking it's a freaking cardboard cutout. Oh God! All right, last final thought. Um, When's your the Nick? Do the Knicks start December twenty second as well? Hey, their first game is the twenty third at the Indiana Pacers. Would will you be there? I have the option of going. I have not decided yet. But because, like I said, there is no reason for me to go for access because I can. Everything is Zoom. Um, so you got, you got young kids, right? Yeah, I do. So you guys um, do? Do you guys do Hanukkah, Christmas? What do you do? So I'm half Jewish and half Christian. Oh God so bless do, you! You can yeah. do both. I can do both. I can do both, and and but we don't. We don't really only do Christmas. I I don't. I'm not. I'm not a good Jew. Yeah. All right. Well. Well. Bruce. Bruce can fix that. Uh, all right. He goes to. He goes to, he goes to all the. He goes to all the high holidays. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. Uh. But no. But uh, I think that's great. We do Christmas and like, if it's December twenty second. 
I'm telling my office right now, I am staying home for Christmas um, because my kids are going to be thinking about it. You got too much going on. I got it. If I do anything else on this podcast, I need to tell you, you need to tell your office today. You just don't feel comfortable going because of the pandemic and where the numbers are spiking. And of course, it's going to be a huge lie. But nonetheless, (laughs) they won't hear this podcast. Um, Only certain people do. (laughs) And what's going to happen is you will um, you will essentially get off of Christmas. You will spend it with your kids. You'll be much happier because I'm going to I'm going to tell you why. The most miserable Christmas I ever spent, I swear to God, Neil Amder, God bless him, my sports editor who hired me at the New York Times, calls me up and he says, hey, you want to cover the Knicks and Bulls on Christmas Day? And I'm like, it was like my first, I think it was my second year, and I was like, or maybe it was my first year, and he said, I said, yeah, uh, okay, I guess I can't say no. He goes, yeah, because Cliff Brown, uh, you know, covers the Knicks, he wants it off, and you know, we really, you know, it's in Chicago and miserable day in Chicago. I'm at the downtown Marriott. I don't know if you know who Howie Blatt is. Howie Blatt is a former New York Daily News sports writer. And, of course, they always ask all the Jewish people to work on Christmas, uh, which, is still, which is still wrong in itself. I mean, Jewish people on Christmas should be out eating Chinese food, like most of the people <laughs> I know in New York. And, and, but, like, but, like, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, I'm meeting Howie Blatt at Christmas morning at, at the Alley's Grill for, uh, you know, a freaking piece of crispy French toast. With, and, and I'm not with my family back home in California. Oh, it was crippling. Hear, hearing Pat Riley talk about losing that day and how awful it was. I'm like, no, the son of man was born, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, but, well, but, uh, well, keep in mind, I've been... I've been home for nine months straight or 10 months or whatever it is. My wife will buy those tickets for me. Okay. She, she's probably looked at the next schedule as soon yeah. as it came out and said, you know what? Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah. But your kids need you home. I, yeah. I don't care. All right. This has been great. I really appreciate you joining us on short notice and man, have a great season. And most of all, knowing you and, and your family a little bit, man, be safe. All right. Thanks a lot for having me. That was dope. <laughs> Time to wrap for this week. Thank you to our guest, Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News for sharing his feelings about New York basketball. Thanks to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, for his wisdom, guidance, and hairstyling advice. Have you listened to Full Court with Fisher and Kay yet? Jenny and Kara are wise beyond their years and have the college hoop scene locked down for Pure Hoops Media. Their show drops each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto and Aaron is here each Wednesday. And Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure have a fresh show on Thursdays. B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast each Friday. And, yes, yours truly is back next Monday with a new Mike Wise show. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Finally, COVID-19 is still crushing us. Is COVID-19 good or bad? Bad, says Margot, my young two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Be smart. Wear a mask. Keep your distance in public. Don't be selfish. Treat everyone around you with respect. And Margo, you know this as well as I do. Keep the medical professionals and frontline workers in your prayers. And keep working for social justice and an inclusive society. Until next week, Margo, say peace out. Peace out. Really loud. Say peace out. Peace out. (laughs) I got her working. No child labor card for her. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, 
but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.